So we are to Exodus 20, verse 13 this evening, but we will read from verse 1 just as review. And because, because I read it all in its entirety all the time, it almost seems weird to, to pull a verse out. It just it doesn't allow us to get into the rhythm. So Exodus 20, beginning at verse 1, God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as I said, I mentioned this to somebody in the back before the service as well. Uh, the command not to murder is kind of a no-brainer for a lot of us. And so it was a little difficult for me this week or last week when I started thinking about it, um, to kind of get myself mentally prepared for, for what to talk about this evening. And so I looked at my book of quotations, and uh, I just want to start, kind of ease into this with um, just a handful, three quotes from um, notable people regarding murder the first is from author Alice Sebold. She writes, Murderers are not monsters, they're men. And that's the most frightening thing about them. Sigmund Freud writes this, We are descended from an endlessly long chain of generations of murderers whose love of murder was in their blood as it is perhaps also in ours. And finally, George Henry, murder, like talent, seems occasionally to run in families. So we've already seen in our study of the Ten Commandments that the first four commandments deal with our service to and our love of the one true God. In other words, it outlines the vertical dimension of our identity as believers. The second table of the law, which we find ourselves in tonight, concerns those horizontal dimensions of the Christian life. In other words, uh, what are our responsibilities given to us by God toward one another or horizontal relationships? We also understand 
that there is an inseparable connection between our love for God and our love for each other. You cannot do one without doing the other. And if you ignore one, you are invariably violating the other. So that is helpful for us to understand as we take these commandments one by one, but keep in mind as well the forest as well as the trees. Now, leaders and thinkers from many Christian traditions have identified a trend in our culture, which I talked about a little bit a couple weeks ago, but it is a trend in our culture toward an increasingly lower view and regard for human life. Now, this is most blatantly evident in our willingness to extinguish and experiment with unborn human life. It also, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, is evident in our lack of respect and esteem for the elderly or the aged in our society. Now, some have gone so far as to say that we have actually created a culture of death here in the West. But that said, and at the same time, there has always been a strong resistance to this among the Christian community. In fact, some have gone so far as to say that not only should we vehemently oppose things like abortion, but also that we should vehemently oppose things like capital punishment, lethal self-defense, and war. That said, if I bump it out to, to that understanding, which I'm not endorsing, but what I'm saying is out there, if I bump it out to that extensive an understanding of the sec- seventh commandment, um, we really need to understand what God desires from us in this command. It's important to understand this commandment in today's world. And I'm gonna argue tonight that it's actually quite clear as to what it prohibits and also what it promotes. It speaks forcefully to both social and heart issues that we face every day. So I'd like to consider this command in three parts. First, I'd like to look at the command itself, what it does mean, what it doesn't mean. Second, I want to look at the rationale for this command, and we're going to turn all the way back to Genesis chapter 9, verses 5 and 6, to determine the rationale behind this command. And third, we're going to look at the application of this command as taught by Jesus Christ himself using Matthew 5, verses 21 and 22. So in Hebrew, interestingly enough, Hebrew is a very economical language. This commandment consists of two simple words. In the Hebrew Bible, if you were to translate it, this verse says, no murder. It is a brief but emphatic prohibition. Expanded in the negative sense, it means that you must not unlawfully or immorally take the life of another human being. Expanded in the positive sense, it means you must respect life and take great care to protect and to value it. 
But I want you to understand that the phrase no murder is not merely a generic term that covers just any kind of killing. It is actually a specific or a technical term for the violent killing of a personal enemy, the violent killing of a personal enemy. It is never used for acts of war in the Bible. It is never used for acts of capital punishment in the Bible. It is never used for acts of lethal self-defense in the Bible. It is never used on any occasion when God or angels are the subject of this verb. So let's dig a little deeper into what this command does mean then, specifically. Considering more closely what it doesn't mean, what it does mean. No murder does not mean a number of things. First, it does not forbid killing of every kind or every kind whatsoever. Case in point, the law actually required the death penalty for breaking this command, okay? Therefore, at the very least, this commandment allows for capital punishment. Otherwise, we would have an immediate contradiction here. The sixth commandment also does not apply to just war. Do you know what I mean by just war? Warranted war, okay? It's not calling for absolute pacifism either. In the Old Testament, God instructs Israel to engage in war at specific times. In the New Testament, war is sanctioned as a legitimate expression of the authorities. For instance, in Romans 13, where it says, the government does not bear the sword for nothing. In other words, the government has the right of the sword, both for the administration of justice and for the protection and defense of the realm or the kingdom. Finally, the sixth commandment does not forbid lethal self-defense. The Old Testament never applies this concept to situations involving self-defense, legitimate self-defense. So, that serves as a brief summary of the, what the sixth commandment does not mean. What does the command mean then? What is murder? And what distinguishes it from capital punishment or war or self-defense? Well, murder, now that we have narrowed the field a little bit, we will speak about it as broadly as we can. Murder, broadly speaking, is any act of violence against an individual out of hatred, anger, malice, deceit, or for personal gain. Now, when Jesus expands this command, which we look at later, this is going to extend into our thought life and into our verbal life as well. And so, let me read that again. Murder, broadly speaking, is any act of violence with regard to thought, with regard to word, with regard to action against an individual out of anger, hatred, malice, deceit, or for personal gain. Now, of course, specifically, 
that would cover any circumstances under that umbrella in which we actually would take the life of someone else. The commandment means that there is to be no unsanctioned killing. We are never told to take a human life unless God gives us that explicit authority in his word. No taking of life without the authority of God's word is allowable. And so there are very, very specific and and very carefully thought out reasons why it would be ever justifiable to take another life. Therefore, suicide, abortion, euthanasia, all of these things would be clearly prohibited and outlawed along with outright murder and manslaughter according to the scriptures. The point is that life may only be taken by the authority of God in the interest of a direct preservation of life, the life of another or the life of a larger community, which is why capital punishment in the administration of justice or self-defense or just war fall within the boundaries established and actually protected by this command. Now, the essence of the sixth commandment has two aspects. The first aspect is the requirement to exercise extreme care when it comes to life. Christians must cultivate a comprehensive perspective affirming the sanctity of life. And sanctity of life does not just apply to the abortion or the the unborn life issue. Sanctity of life itself is a concept much broader than that. The Heidelberg Catechism lays this out well in question and answer 105 and 106. Question 105 asks, what is God's will for you in the sixth commandment? And it answers, I am not to belittle, hate, insult, or kill my neighbor, not by my thoughts, my words, my look or gesture, and certainly not by actual deeds. And I am not to be party to this in others. Rather, I am to put away all desire for revenge. I am not to harm or recklessly endanger myself either, Prevention of murder is also why the government is armed with the sword. And then question 106, does this commandment refer only to murder? Well, duh, they probably shouldn't have put that question after, but they did. Answer, by forbidding murder, God teaches us that he hates the root of murder. Envy, hatred, anger, vindictiveness in God's sight All such are disguised forms of murder. Now, attached to those questions and answers is a bunch of different scripture references, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, which proves that God's word teaches a very broad view of this command. It goes far beyond striking another person down in violence, which most of us have not done. It is rather cultivating a comprehensive respect for life and flourishing as regard to ourselves and as regard to others. That said, Christians in our society cannot afford to be indifferent and apathetic about issues regarding human life. 
For instance, the issue of abortion. We cannot be indifferent to new medical technologies which promote the experimentation and often destruction of human embryonic life, even if it hides behind the justification of human advancement. And I realize the, the technical ins and outs of cloning and embryonic stem cell research, these are things beyond comprehension for many of us. We don't understand them. Even experts seem to disagree. Uh, what does that have to do with us? Well, everything actually. Because we need, we are called to cultivate a comprehensive respect for life as believers. We have that responsibility according to God's word. Christians in our society cannot afford to be indifferent about things like capital punishment either. Already in the Old Testament, the argument was developed that capital punishment is required because of our respect for life and flourishing. Now, this is not a popular attitude in mainstream America today. And many nations around the world have criticized our, our continued practice of capital punishment. They view it as antiquated and even barbaric. But we need to understand that God's word does not present capital punishment as something that denigrates life, but rather something which upholds it. When you hear arguments against capital punishment in the media today, they usually contain three major points of appeal. One, capital punishment is, is not an effective deterrent against crime, experts will say. Two, capital punishment is not fiscally or economically effective. It's, it's not cost effective. It costs more to, to actually go through the judicial process of bringing someone to the death penalty than it does to incarcerate someone for the rest of their lives. Three, capital punishment is morally questionable because of human error that could or could not be involved in the process. Now, I'm not a big soapbox guy when it comes to capital punishment. And I'm not trying to give you pat answers about how to think about it, okay? But I am telling you that it's important to think through and have a perspective about. And I want you to understand that the Old Testament in particular looked at this whole situation in a different way. The Old Testament, God's word says that because of our respect for life, those who wrongly take life forfeit life. Do you understand what I just said? Because of our respect for life, those who wrongly take life forfeit life, which is not a denigration of life, but an upholding and an affirmation of life. So now that we have wrestled with what this command does and does not mean, we now have an opportunity to see the rationale for this particular commandment. And I told you that we were going to go back to Genesis chapter 9. And this is God speaking to Noah, actually. He says, And for your lifeblood I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from each man too. I will demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. And then whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God, God has made man. 
So after the flood, and this is way back in history, after the flood, God clearly states his rationale for the seventh commandment. Are we on six or seven? We're to six. I've been saying seven. Sorry about that. For the sixth commandment. After the flood already, and this is generations before God gives us the Ten Commandments, God provides the rationale for this command. We are accountable to God for human life because all human life bears his image. Life belongs to God. Human life belongs to God. Therefore, it is sacred. No human being can take it without his permission, without consequences. In fact, God emphasizes the accountability of all creatures to him for the taking of human life, not simply human beings, but even for animals. When a human life is wrongly taken, whether by another human being or by an animal, that human being or animal will be held accountable in God's eyes. Why? because human beings are made in God's image. And I want you to notice the, the connection or the tying together between this sixth commandment and the first commandment. The first commandment says God is to be honored. And the sixth commandment, in essence, says human beings are to be treated with dignity as well because they are made in the image of God. Doesn't matter the race, doesn't matter the background, doesn't matter the religion. Even if that person is in spiritual rebellion against God, he or she is still an image bearer of God. Therefore, that life must be respected. I mean, that is how seriously God takes human life. And the way we treat life is a reflection of how seriously we take God the author of life. Which brings us to our last point. What is the application of the sixth commandment? Matthew 5, verses 21 and 22. This is Jesus speaking. He says, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, Anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. So Jesus very clearly states here that we can violate the sixth commandment without even doing so outwardly. We can violate the sixth commandment without anyone ever knowing except for God. Jesus is teaching us that murderous acts flow from murderous hearts. And so even our thoughts and our words and our attitudes must be guarded against the failure to love one another. It follows then that we can violate this command without even doing so physically. Jesus' exposition of the sixth commandment shows us that, that the law, this commandment itself in particular, is spiritual. It is perhaps first and foremost of the spirit. It deals with spiritual matters, 
And at its very foundation, it deals with matters of the heart. <clears throat> Jesus clearly applies this commandment to both our hearts and our tongues. Hatred or wrongful anger is heart murder. Destructive speech is tongue murder. And these sins must be dealt with seriously and diligently and completely, which, brothers and sisters, is precisely why we need a Savior. Heidelberg Catechism question and answer 107 asks, is it enough then that we do not murder our neighbor in any such way? And it answers, no. By condemning envy, hatred, and anger, God wants us to love our neighbors as ourselves, to be patient, peace-loving, gentle, merciful, and friendly toward them, to protect them from harm as much as we can, and to do good even to our enemies. I understand that I am speaking to a moral community here, which is maybe a more smarty-pants way of saying that I'm preaching to the choir here. And I realize that nobody is going to stand up here and argue for uh, any kind of disregard for human life. No one is going to stand up here and claim that, hey, murder is no big deal. But you know, as Jesus applies this command, and we take Jesus very seriously, don't we? As Jesus applies this command, we realize that there is not one of us here tonight who has never murdered with our hearts and with our tongues. And so I want you to think for a moment as we finish up, is there someone whose reputation you have murdered with your harmful thoughts and words? Is there someone maybe even in this place this evening from whom you are estranged. Jesus says that we violate the sixth commandment whenever we fail to love one another, whenever we bring division or discord into this body, whenever there is a resistance against giving or receiving forgiveness, when there is a rebellion against any desire for reconciliation. James tells you that when you have broken one law, you've broken them all. Jesus says that if you fail to keep the law better than the Pharisees, you will go to hell. Jesus' exposition of the Ten Commandments shows us that we are in desperate need of grace, for we have all sinned and fallen far short of the standard that God has given us. The Apostle John says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. What did I just say a minute ago? We're all murderers. Where does that leave us? Well, brothers and sisters, that is precisely why we need grace. That is precisely why we need Jesus Christ. Heart hatred, tongue hatred, disunity in the body, hatred of our neighbors, these are all symptoms that lead back to the disease that we are all afflicted with. 
the disease, the cause, the need, the, the root of our sin, which ought to press us to Jesus Christ for the grace that only he can provide and the strength to love God and each other that only he can grant. Amen. Let's pray.